0: Chapter Sixteen of Miss by Gertrude Hall. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Reading by Chapter Sixteen. Grace was grateful that night for Sita's absence, which permitted her to toss at will in the bed and weep at liberty. When tired out, she slept. It was not to escape altogether from trouble. The face that had pursued her since her first sight of it making itself the starting point of confused threads of surmise and their dependent emotions, obtruded itself in her dreams, with a great deal of its beauty gone, but its individuality accentuated to the point of caricature. In this distorted version, Mrs. Fenn stood forth intensely unpleasant amid the fantastical composites of a perfectly convincing dream-world, and while, railing like a madwoman, working her features so that they alarmingly melted from one shape into another, like reflections on agitated waters. Grace was afraid of her, so violent and menacing as she appeared, till something whispered that she need only waken to escape. Thereupon the dream transferred her to a grove of tall pines, where all the sound to be heard was a squirrel angrily chattering from a branch, on which he sat jerking himself as he tore a pine-cone to shreds. When she awoke, the image of Mrs. Finn returned at once, as she was actually remembered, beautiful as the masterpiece of some Greek carver of Aphrodite's, or else a rose that could be imagined self-convinced of its perfection. Many and mixed were her sentiments, with regard to Mrs. Fenn, and some of them sharply, intuitively, inimical. Grace felt no proper scorn for the woman's unbraced conduct, lack of dignity, and good taste. They affected her like those of a child whom some misfortune, such as being too ailing to punish, or too pretty to scold, robbed of indispensable discipline, so that it could never rightly grow up. With a fury of pain in Mrs. Venn's voice still present to her, Grace felt sorry for the other Grace, felt outraged in her deep sense of what should be by the treatment she had seen her receive. From a long late sleep she woke, unrefreshed and unnerved, asking herself in despair at her size by comparison with the size of her problems, "'What, what shall I do?' to take advantage of a circumstance which might not recur that of teresa and the girls being away from home seemed to her amid boundless uncertainty one thing obviously to be done whether she should afterward decide to leave or to remain unbothered by any person asking whither she was going or what she meant to do she went out to procure a time-table for florida and to make inquiries concerning the journey to Wilaka, Sita entered the room in the afternoon with a happy air of having enjoyed herself. She hummed while putting her hat and things into their places. She had not forgotten that she was playing a comedy of grand indifference toward her erstwhile crush. Grace was tempted to do her part then and there toward making up. To live in the same room with one who regards herself as offended by you is burdensome from the necessity it brings of a constant and vain attempt not to care. Moreover, to have a person who gave you affection, such as it was, inconsiderate, cloying, over-familiar, messy, show marks of antipathy, instead, is permitting something. After all, less good to be substituted for what was not excellent to begin with. Grace was very near surprising her roommate by an act of humility, an apology, an appeal. But flesh and blood, at the critical instant, rebelled. She would have seated at once, around her neck, on her hands, in her hair again. She took a less dangerous step, that of shaking herself sufficiently free from her cares to show a friendly interest in the jaunt to Jaffa Road, to act in the endeavour to restore pleasantness between them, as if nothing had happened to mar it. Sita's attention was arrested, like that of a dog, at a suspicious footfall. She gave Grace as sharp a look as her big shining calves' eyes were capable of, but resolved not to see what she saw, not to surrender anything like so easily she was taking a good deal of pleasure in her part of the play when she rose with the others from the dinner table grace fearing that to go at once to her room would subject her to questioning went for the first time since taking up her abode with the overcomes to the piano that stood in the crypt out of the way of the dancers when there was dancing it was strewn with rebecca's music which she slowly looked over and none of which she knew rebecca was going for a buggy ride with her beau as he was designated by the family harvey stokes even as claire had wanted her grace to do with him she sat down at the piano and began to play as evidently as possible for herself alone making the least noise compatible with playing at all after a little of it in his shirt sleeves came to the door of the den a billiard cue in his hands a pipe between his teeth oh it's you grace i was wondering who the deuce no go on go on i like it junior came to the door too in his shirt sleeves likewise and likewise smoking the brothers neglected their game of pool to stand listening for a while Teresa leaned over the gallery railing to call down, Beautiful, but you do play the dolefulest music I ever heard. On such warm evenings, the men took their cigars to the glass doors, wide open, onto the green yard. Red sat with them, tonight, not so far from the piano, but that he could watch the face of his incalculable love, who was not being nice to him. Zip had scented something in the fact of Grace's unsmiling air and the sudden fancy for piano playing, as well as from Uncle Red's respectful distance from her. It encouraged her to start a romp around him like those of the old days, full of wild laughing and poking and climbing over his person and whispering in his ear. Her funniest secret caused her such laughter that part of it was spluttered audibly. The tune that made the old cat die, Grace heard, and wondered that, even under the circumstances, Claire did not resent, for her sake, that joke of the impudent little thing. However, unreasonably, it hurt that he did not. Bluish, transparent darkness was deepening outdoors. In the rotunda, the darkness was gray, save where a red glimmer came from the den. Grace could let the tears come into her eyes without danger of being seen. At last, Clare drew a chair close and leaned on the piano, giving his full attention to her shadowy face. What is it that you are playing? he asked, in a voice whose every inflection was an entreaty to be friends with him again. It is Schubert's, and called The N. It is really meant to be sung she answered with well-simulated indifference jolly sort of inn, i should call it he laughed but i guess if you were to play yankee doodle it would sound soulful tired of the pokiness of sitting in the dark teresa without warning touched a taper to one group of the pearls grace's face stood revealed bathed with tears "'instantly on his feet and bending over her "'with all the magnetism of warmth and strength, begged, come out under the Elm with me, won't you, Grace? "'But, though she yearned to be comforted "'and comforted above all by him, "'though the sadness of the whole great universe "'seemed poured on her in a drenching rain, "'she shook her head in denial, fearing, more than anything, she could imagine of the flames of hell the torrid paradise of his embrace it seemed to her on the next day that the family must suspect a lover's quarrel how could they fail to when she so contrary to precedent avoided to be alone with claire the only sign however from teresa and that a doubtful one was an opportunity she took to tell her what extraordinary luck she was in to get such a husband red said teresa was a fool he was so generous in quarters where he loved nothing too good to give nothing too much to do and wasn't he good to look at she only wished that heaven had not made her red sister or else had made a few more men like him no reason why you should ever have the smallest difficulty with red if you understand him, and used a little tact. Grace showed some degree of tact in her manner of receiving this implied advice. She was not impelled to let Teresa into the secret of her difficulties, and listened like any engaged girl well satisfied with the change of state before her. It was a long, soul-wearing day to live through, with a heart unremittingly burning amid the desperate difficulty of, not only knowing what were best to do, but not knowing what at bottom she wished to do, a confused battle going on between desires, suspicions, conscience, cowardice, and then the simple ache of yearning created by the love potion of which she had drunk. Red asked her again to go driving with him go to a theater go for a walk anything he asked it with a beseeching, reproachful face she refused and felt ridiculous when she again to give herself a countenance by doing something seated herself at the piano to play her mournful melodies red turned testily away from her and repaired to the den to play pool with his nephews he could be seen through the doorway in his shirt sleeves chalking his cue so different he was from the others the hulking junior the graceless aleck the shirt of fine linen sat well on his athletic shoulders the flat white collar increased the vividness of his black head and glowing face he had more than ever an air of manly elegance in that undress a sister's partiality did not in every respect mislead teresa he could be heard now laughing with the boys, in the boisterous way of overcomes when in the mood. Grace, playing scarcely above breath, tried with a tormenting interest to hear what he said, but so much nearer to her were the tiresome other men, smoking their thick cigars by the open door. When she strained for Clare's voice, she was severely tried by hearing their droning business talk instead until her ear was caught by a name occurring in that conversation near the door, Quicksie. After that, her attention to what Black and Sim were saying became so complete that, forgotten, the hands on the keyboard were still. While she sat by a window next day, to all appearance reading her book, and while Sita, in the same room, busily did things to winter clothing in preparation to putting it away from the moths, grace was saying in the picture language of internal conversations what may be rendered as follows if i am to get away i must go without farewells or discussion i must leave the house as if on the most ordinary errand and go instead to the railway station and take my train as soon as i am far enough away i will send back a letter to explain i shall take with me a bundle so small as not to arouse any suspicion My things will have to stay behind, for them to do what they please with. Almost all my latter purchases were paid for, in part by Teresa, who has always wanted me to have finer things than I wanted to buy. Much of it, therefore, is really theirs. Lydia does not dream of the thing that is preparing for her. She thinks me bestowed, for good and all, in the little niche that it was convenient to consider as fitting me what a blow to her castle of dreams when unannounced unexpected i stand in the door no ghost but solid and to be counted with my own avenger with steadfast accusing eyes the fancy that i am a little pawn to be moved about on the chessboard to serve the ends of other people will cease very suddenly when she sees my face i feel in myself an actual desire, a flame of battle-lust, for the moment when she learns a new lesson concerning me, discovers a new person in her spineless little sister. She does not want me, but she shall have me, as a penalty for not having quite succeeded in selling me into slavery. Poor Lydia! After a while it will be all right in her own way. She will be a good sister to me again. She has a Christian conscience, and, under everything, affection of a kind for the baby sister of her little girlhood. She is Papa and Mamma's daughter, after all, just as I am. They will have to make up a bed on chairs for me in the sitting-room, I suppose, at the foster poor's. They can't very well turn me into the streets. I won't ask for my money back, but I can demand a roof and food till I have found work i shall not be dainty as to what i am willing to do there must be children to teach or old ladies to companion or places where shop girls are wanted or factories where they need hands at the worst floors to scrub anything anything will be more tolerable than to remain where i am having waited till Sita had left the room she went to her bureau drawer to take and transfer to her pocketbook the money for her journey, which she had left in an envelope beneath a little pile of handkerchiefs. But the money was no longer there. End of chapter 16